Hello, I'm David Gilmore, and this is Coffee Talk. Hello, and welcome again to the official podcast of the guitar department at Berklee College of Music. My name's Ian, and we have another episode of Coffee Talk for you. We've got guitar professor David Gilmore with us this week. Not to be confused with the other guitarist, David Gilmore, our David Gilmore is a world-class modern jazz guitarist who has worked with Wayne Shorter, Christian McBride, Ravi Coltrane, Cassandra Wilson, and many, many others. Professor Gilmore talks about playing with Steve Coleman and M-Bass and being able to play in advanced rhythmic contexts and also talks about his experience being a side musician to big pop acts like Joss Stone. As always, a lot of this content will also be available on YouTube, and we have a ton of other great content on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, so give us a like and a subscribe on whatever platform you use. Here's our interview with David Gilmore. Hi, I'm Kim Furlack. I'm the chair of the guitar department. Welcome back, everybody, for another Coffee Talk. Uh, we're here with David Gilmore, professor in the guitar department. Hey, David. What's happening? And uh, Cheryl Bailey, assistant chair as usual. Hey, Cheryl. And um, Ian Steed, our senior coordinator. Hey, all. All right. Good to see everybody. Um, so, David, it's late where you are, but did you drink coffee today? I did, yes. And how do you take it? Like, what's your... Uh, with my latest is oat milk because <laughs> I, I don't do much dairy these days. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm an oat milk kind of guy, and uh, and my I do sweeten it a little bit with uh, what am I using now? Um, sometimes uh, some kind of sugar, brown sugar, or uh, it's the liquid stuff, uh, agave. Oh, nice. Sounds a little weird, but yeah, coffee's not the same here. I kind of miss the. Uh, I don't know. We, I haven't found the right coffee here yet. <laughs> so tell everybody where you are, if you don't mind. I'm in Berlin, Germany at the moment. And uh, they make coffee differently there? I mean, you know, I think uh, I just have to find the right one. There's got to be, I just, my wife likes this kind that we get this at this, uh, uh, you know, organic store. So try to Get it without the chemicals and stuff so whenever you're looking for stuff like that sometimes it's a bit of a hunt to find you know the stuff that tastes good as the chemically induced uh, variety <laughs> you know you need so. to find the italian neighborhood well that. but it'll be i mean right in the market right around the corner they have italy they have all the great italian stuff but i'm like so trying to rid myself of but it's good stuff i miss it i miss it yeah, That's no coffee cool. now though. I'm herbal tea now, or uh, what is this? Uh, hibiscus. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah, it's nice. nice. Um, so one of the first questions we ask everybody is um, if you could think back to your first days at Berkeley, does anything stand out to you or what do you remember about that time? First days, let's see. So this was 2006 I started in January. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I remember it's funny because it kind of came up really quickly because I was uh, in 2005, I think I was, I, it was, I found out, I actually ended up, I was talking with Fusinski about this maybe for a while. I was trying to, you know, get a teaching job 
here and there. And I was on the road a lot, like 2004, 2005, I was, I was playing with this pop singer, Joss Stone. And uh, I had never done a pop gig like of that magnitude before. It was really, weird. it was a weird time of my career, you know, to be from playing jazz to this thing. But it was a lot of fun. It was, you know, it was definitely an experience. But uh, it was, it was kind of winding down. Uh, and so I was just kind of looking to see what the next thing was. And uh, I talked to Fuse and he put me in touch with, uh, with, with Larry, you know, and Rick actually, and um, talked to them. And did I come in? I can't remember if I actually came in. I think I did come in and, and, and met with them for the first time. Uh, and they said, I remember Rick said something that uh, like maybe the following September of 2006 would be a possibility. So, um, so it was a great meeting. They said actually they had, they were you know at one point putting out feelers and my name had come up. So it was kind of a a, a, a cool thing that they had thought about me. So, uh, and then it was toward the end of 2005, like maybe if I remember like November or December, where they said, oh, uh, actually we could use someone in January. Uh, so, and it was perfect timing because that was like the end of the, the Joss Stone thing, at least for some time. And um, uh, so, yeah, so I started in, in January and, um, you know, I remember kind of, yeah, yeah, I was just kind of thrown in there a little bit, you know, I didn't know what to expect. I mean, I knew it was going to be private lessons. I, I was teaching, um, was it one? Yeah, I think I had one class, uh, which they don't have anymore, which is the um, sort of advanced prep Yep. I forgot what it's called, you know, um, but anyway, you know, so Larry just said, yeah, you know, <laughs> he just, you know, just go in there and, you know, talk about what, you know, scales, chords, arpeggios and that kind of thing. I don't even know if I had a syllabus or anything like that. Um, I think maybe I saw the general outline syllabus or something like that. So it was kind of like, um, you know, I mean, I've been teaching at other places, but um, usually private or master classes and stuff like that. But um so anyway, I mean, it was, you know, I, it, it, it took a while to, for me to just kind of organize things and everything, but it was, uh, you know, everybody was super cool and, you know, um, yeah, it's just, it, it felt at home because, you know, Boston, I, I grew up in Cambridge, so it was really cool that actually um, to be spending time, I stayed, as I still do with my, with, uh, with my father, you know, and my, and my mom was, was alive at the time. She passed the, a year later in 2007. So it was actually just really a great chance to spend time with my mom who, yeah. you know, on a, on a weekly basis, which I hadn't done in a long time, you know? So, uh, yeah. So, yeah. That's great. And I'm still That's here. <laughs> <laughs> Fast forward. <laughs> Um, it goes by fast, crazy. Oh, 2006. Jeez. Wow. That's amazing. It's yeah. amazing to think that that was a long time ago now. Yeah, that was like three years ago, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's what I thought until I counted and it was like, I had a 16. Wow. Yeah. 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 So that's really interesting that you bring up um, coming in kind of like you knew people who taught here. You had a sense of the place. You, you knew Boston because of your family, yeah. because of growing up. Um, and then you you did study with John Baboyan, who was, Privately. was a teacher here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then in another way, you're coming. And Randy Roos, too. Oh, wow. Study with Randy, yeah. This is like before I went to college, I think, like in my high school years. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. 
And then you came from a different part of your career to start at Berkeley as a faculty member. Uh, so I'm wondering, like, as you were getting your own teaching method together to sort of figure out how you're going to teach what you do and, and from your perspective in the guitar department, what were your impressions of, of just how, how everything, um, like what kind of students come and, and um, just what the curriculum was like and did you have a certain idea of it? Do you, were there things in there that you think are really important that you kind of grabbed onto and ran with? I mean, you know, um, you know, Chris uh, Bono actually he was he was teaching here at the time. He really helped me out a lot, um, you know, beforehand and prepped me on all the proficiency stuff and what to expect and everything. So that was um, really really helpful. Infused it as well. So I had that advantage, you know, um, to look into it. And and when I got here, it was you know I could see it was a very well organized curriculum and a, you know. Prior to that, like I said, mostly, I mean, I taught, you know, mostly private lessons in new school and um, city college and, and master classes and things like that. So this is kind of new to me in, in terms of having like, you know, curriculum type of thing set out, but I found it to be, you know, very, very organized. I definitely had to do a little homework myself, you know, I wasn't hip to uh, certain things, you know, um, the, you know, the, the triad cycles and, and uh, Things like that, um, you know that uh, uh, that the, that they were doing. So um, yeah, so it was. Uh, I learned a lot in that first year, as <laughs> you know, which is great, you know. And I'm still learning, of course. Yeah. So fast forward there and on that thread, and can you tell us a little bit about some of the classes you've written, and um, what what kinds of things that you you wrote? Yeah. Well. Yeah, I mean, over the course of years, I had one point I had like a punk guitar thing that did for, for a couple of years, which was which was a lot of fun. It was a lab when when labs were like two hour labs. Um, and then um, and then actually early on, I had a um, I started out one day a week and then it was two days a week in, in the fall of 2006. And then I started this uh, advanced rhythmic concepts class. I don't even know if it was called that back then. I think it was. So. Um, and that's just something that I've put together that has sort of been like, you know, um, an amalgamation of the music and the experience I've had over the years dealing with artists that deal with odd meters, um, polymetric stuff, you know, it's, it's amalgamation of a lot of things, a lot of styles, kind of not even stylistic, you know, it's, it, it crosses all, you know, we play like some Eddie Harris stuff in five to my Vishnu to, uh, you know, Steve Coleman and, a whole host of things, and, and, it, and it varies, of course, you know, um, on any given semester uh, with the level of students. Um, so I always twist it. So that was like the earliest course I think that I designed, and and still teaching it now. It's a guitar ensemble. Um, I did a Zappa Lab for for a little while. Um, kicked my own butt <laughs> because I because I you know I was learning about I was just sort of. I, you know, I, I'm sure you guys have done this where, you know, you kind of want to learn something and you, you know, so you design a course to, <laughs> to learn and then yourself, you know, and like, and then you realize, oh, shoot, you know, I got, oh my God, this is some deep stuff, you know, and Zappa's deep. So I had some students that knew a heck of a lot more Zappa than I did, you know, I have to admit, um, but it was a lot of fun. It was like, you know, full every semester, people loved it. And um, at that point, I think there were 50, 50 minute lab when it turned into that. So um, 
And uh, what else have I done? Lab wise, the funk thing. I think that's pretty much it. And then I've been involved in the Berkeley Global Jazz Institute for a number of years now, um, coaching one of their ensembles. And that's that's really been like a lot of fun. That's, you know, great um, musicians come through there from all walks of life, all parts of the country. And uh, yeah, I really enjoy that a lot. And the, the other thing that you've taken on now is some of the advanced guitar performance for performance majors. And I think, you know, some of what you're saying leads into that everything that you're writing comes from something you're interested in learning or something that you've done professionally that you're working on. Mm -hmm. And in that particular cohort of people, I think that's what, you know, it's a lot of performance majors who are hoping to, to follow you in, in that some fashion and that idea of having performance be a part of their career. Um, and yeah. when you sort of started taking that on, did you think specifically about certain things that you think are really essential for people? Yeah, um, of course, you know, it, it started, you know, as an online thing because, you know, in the middle of the online thing. So I'm, I'm eager to, you know, I always envision because I because I know Mick Goodrick, you know, uh, you know, is doing it in, in person. So I can't wait to that day to do that because, you know, it, this needs to be done live. Music is a live experience, you know, personal. And so trying to adapt that for the first time in this new, new course, it's been a challenge, but I've been um, just coming up with real world practical musical experiences to bring to them and sharing as much as I can my own experiences, you know, uh, and, um, and covering the, uh, the basics. I'm still feeling myself out there because of the level again, you know, so, you know, it's always a balance, like you don't want to hit them the hit over the head with too much advanced stuff. And yeah, so I, I'm adjusting things as I go, but, um, uh, it's a mixture of, you know, I always bring tunes into, uh, into the mix. Um, I'm, basically working with jazz standards of sorts and you know um uh, on various levels so uh even though the styles are different but you know that's that's kind of where we start from yeah hey cheryl what's on your mind at this point um well david you know i think what's so great for your students is that you've had this incredible career as a side person and, and what you teach comes out of true wisdom <laughs> of that experience. I mean, you've, you've been apple. with Wayne Shorter and Cassandra Wilson and Uri Kane and David Sanborn, like that's a big mix. And then you're talking about that pop gig. So you've spent, you know, you've built your career on, and also being a leader too. So I guess my questions for you um, and I was, and also just before I ask the question is like, you know, I just think that's the best experience for a student to be able to come in with someone who has lived this like mm -hmm. you have. So what are the musical, I guess, two sides of it or a couple sides of it. What are the musical skills you feel are crucial to develop for people that want to pursue that type of career? What are the personal skills? And then if you think about them, are, do they differ when you're a side person or when you're a leader? Oh, wow. <laughs> a lot of questions packed into that one, one question there. I like there. that. I like that. I'm, I'm going to pour another cup of coffee while <laughs> I might have more now myself. As no, much I'm... of that as you want to get into. 
Well, um, for forget all of it. So on the on the t on the musical level, I mean, you know, I, I I I'm firm believer in you know all the foundations and going back to the basics and and covering those things as I do in my own practice. You know, with arpeggios, I'm always trying to find different things to play scale wise and. You know, lately I've been even, you know, visiting the the bebop scale, which, you know, checking out some Berganzi stuff, which, I, you know, and, and looking at just that angle, which I never really did, actually, you know, um, so, so I always share that um, the basics um, and how that fits into whatever level they're in. Um, on on the what was the other thing on the like on a well, I guess, you know, if, if you find, I mean, did you have to come in at, for rehearsals and be able to read stuff or, you know, oh, okay. things like yeah. that? Th things that will take you to be that person who gets called for the gig. Okay, yeah. Well, you know, I I love it when, when I talk about um, or when, when I'm asked about that, like, uh, you know, what what does it take? When, when is it uh, a student who wants to go to New York, you know, and they ask you, so, you know, what is it like? What do I need to know? What did you do? And that kind of thing. And I've had many, many sit down conversations with, you know, the whole lesson or series of lessons is, is almost exclusively about that because that's just as important, you know? And so, um, yeah, I give them full disclosure, you know, that I, you know, I went to NYU. So I was already in New York studying and I graduated and I was a manager of a bookstore for a year before I, and then I was, you know, I started playing, I was, I was, touring actually the day before my graduation i uh, went to europe for the first time on tour with steve coleman and that was like a month-long tour so i was like this is my graduation <laughs> you know <laughs> you know so it was and, some, and and i mean if people don't know steve coleman that is some incredibly complex music talking about odd meters and key key centers and stuff like that so yeah yeah it was it was a learning kick-ass experience <laughs> and uh so you know, I tell them about that and that I was working a full-time job, you know, for that first year and a half or so. Then I took a word processing course so I could do temp work. And then I started doing that and so I could come back and then go back on tour. And then eventually I was able to wean myself off of the day gigs and, and do music pretty much full-time, you know. Um, the, the main thing I like to say, and a lot of musicians don't want to hear it, <laughs> is, you know, I, I really try to separate the music from the music business at least in your mind you know there is there's music and then there's commerce you know there's business and so of course all of us want to make a living financially doing what we love best doing music but not to get discouraged and feel like you're unsuccessful because you aren't achieving it financially doing music you know which you know as as we know many famous people have gone to their grave not making a living, you know, doing music, you know. So uh, I mean, Charles Ives, well, he was a he was a Wall Street financier, you know, mm -hmm. and he composed some pretty incredible stuff, you know. Very successful <laughs> people still talk about him, you know. So you know, Charlie Parker was, you know, was four when he passed away. A lot of people, you know, uh, Mozart, et cetera, et cetera. So um, so to just have that mindset that you could still do music and um, you know, creativity is creativity in music. And, and to be a good business person is the second. I was a music business major at, at NYU. So um, so I had to kind of study the music business quite a bit. And I just realized, like, you know, 
you have to have a good, you can be the best musician in the world, but that is just half the equation. You know, you have to have a personality uh, that you can get along with people, um, you know, uh, you know, I'm not the most outgoing person in the world, but I, I, I conjure up enough to be able to present myself and talk and, and that kind of thing. And, 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 you know, word of mouth and all that stuff. So that's equally as important. You, you can't be this socially awkward person practicing in your closet all day, you know, and expect to be, uh, well, some people get, get there that way, but <laughs> your chances are minimized if you're in the closet and not going out at jam sessions and, and meeting people. So, so there's that, you know, the social aspect, um, and of course being ready with everything else. And, and I think you asked me about playing in different styles or different. Well, I mean, do you, do you have different goals or ways that you work on being a leader as well? Or do those things sort of spring up in terms of you've gotten your name out as a side person and then that gave you some visibility to do your own solo thing? Or how do you, do you think of yourself more as a leader or side person? Um, I, I have to say, I think of myself more as a side person because, and I've, over the years, I've just realized that's, you know, that's kind of what I feel, to be honest with you, most comfortable. Uh, it's it's tough being a music leader for for many reasons, you know. Um, financially, you know, you have to sometimes take the hit, you know. Um, but the other thing is, I don't know. I mean, I think there's just certain people that are sort of naturally gravitate toward that. You know, I'll use Steve Coleman as another example because he's someone I could not see as being a very prolific sideman, and he hasn't been. Well, I mean, he has had his Simon gigs with Dave Holland and. Um, Dave Holland, no, <laughs> not too many people. No, he's done some some things with people, but it it, it it's um, yeah. I mean, he has his direction musically, very strong direction. You know, he's created his own, you know, musicality. And so, I, I, you know, honestly, you know, I I don't have that like super vision. This is what I want to do. This is, and not that you even have to. I mean, actually, I love playing in different styles. And this is what I think makes me a good side, sideman is that I just enjoy playing different types of music. I grew up listening to different types of music and I love getting in, in the shoes of other styles, other people's music and trying to do the best I can in that style. I find that to be really rewarding and challenging uh, and fun. So not everybody is inclined that way, you know, um, musically or personality wise. So musically, you really have to, you know, I, I'm not, you know, I'm, I don't want to be a jack of all trades either, you know, so you can, you can, you can be that as well, but you have to, you know, um, you have to know what you're good at and go for it and what you want to do. Some people that's, you know, they, I almost think it would be easier if I just liked one style of music, you know, life would be a lot more simple in a way, you know, so back to the leader thing, it's sort of been, uh, a slow evolution, you know, I've, I've seen a number of critics accuse me of you know, having an anemic output in terms of musical output. I'm like, okay, yeah, they use that word, anemic. I'm like, really? Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, who says you have to put out an album a year, for example, you know? Uh, I mean, I remember having a discussion with Wayne Shorter about that, actually. He was sort of, 
not about, you know, uh, caving into the dictates of the record companies. Like, you know, he said it just like, you know, I, you know, when I'm ready, that's when it comes out, you know? And uh, I won't say who his name is, but uh, at, at the label at the time, he was talking to me. I got both sides of the conversation. He was like, you know, Wayne, who's, you know, he thinks he could just do this anytime. I'm like, yeah, dude, he's Wayne Shorter. He could do it anytime he wants. <laughs> it's crazy, you know? So, you know, um, anyway, I'm rambling here, but. No, 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 that, that's all really important. But also I am curious, I mean, you're, you worked with Wayne Shorter. I mean, he's is he is a Wayne Shorter. He's an iconic genius. Yeah. I'm just curious for my own curiosity. Any things you could share with us about that experience, or even how you came up upon that gig? How how did Wayne Shorter and you cross paths? I came upon that gig because um, he was doing the High Life. Uh, album recording and I guess it was 94, 95. And um, uh, Will Calhoun, drummer from Living Color is on the album. And he was out in LA and this is what they told me. And, and Marcus Miller was producing it and I knew Marcus from doing stuff with, with Sanborn. And they told me that Wayne was in the studio. He was sort of gesturing like, air guitar, you know, <laughs> and they were, but he wasn't saying like, I hear guitar. He was just doing this like every once in a while. And so apparently they asked him like, like Wayne, are, you know, are you hearing guitar on this? <laughs> so, uh, so, um, Will Calhoun, I, uh, recommended me and, uh, and Marcus Miller was like, yeah, yeah. Call Dave. So, um, so I sent him a tape cassette tape, uh, some of the stuff I've, I've done, uh, over the years. And, um, and I got a call, like, you know, some weeks later, and it was Wayne. He was like, hey, is this Wayne Short? <laughs> it's like, I'm like, ah. Really? That's definitely a, ah. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. And then he said, the, the next thing he said, uh, you, don't waste, you don't waste any time getting to the point, do you? Which I think he meant musically, you know. Was, I tried to, of course, send him, like, you know, my best stuff. So, so yeah, I was like, you know, and then, and then they flew me out to, to LA and he had, they had already done the main tracks for the CD. So I was, I was, it was just me and him and, and uh, Marcus uh, doing the overdubs to that. Uh, and, um, and then the following year, uh, no, we recorded the end of 94 album came out in 95 and then we, we toured in 95. Uh, and then and through 96. And then I did some gigs with him in, in 98 as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, it was great, great experience uh, musically and, you know, just as a human being, he's, <clears throat> he's such a sweetheart. He's such a darn person. And he's still sort of, I feel like he's like a second father, you know, he's just someone who I just feel is, is um, yeah, like I've never seen him get flustered or lose his temper or anything. He's got a great sense of humor, great energy, you know, um, just a, an amazing, a very, very unique human being on this planet. And uh, um, yeah, what can you say about Wayne? Yeah. yeah. I have a question about that. When you have that kind of experience and you're a side man on that record, how do you go about kind of thinking about how your part is going to be created and fit in do they have did, mm. did he have a real idea of what he wanted you to sound like musically did you come up with that yeah, together well, like how did that work he, yeah i mean he wrote out guitar uh i did a lot of melody doubling on that so he wrote out the stuff 
by hand, like I still have his charts, but, you know, they're like memes of paper, um, meticulously written is his, you know, penmanship is amazing, he's an artist. Um, so he had parts and then um, in the studio was like, I was sweating bullets, like this is a good lesson for students to like learn how to read because uh, Marcus Miller had me reading stuff he was taking because there was a lot of things that just on the fly Marcus was saying okay I want you to grab this chord from the piano you know and he showed me the piano chart you know and I'm like trying to figure out which voicings you know because they're all stacked seconds I can't play everything you know so I had to get the essence of it um so that was like one of the hardest sessions I've ever done it was just like real pressure but Marcus is amazing you know um, so there was a combination of worked out stuff and, and, you know, on the fly, like, okay, boom. And then, you know, they had me improvise some lines and fill you know, stuff. I never, I don't think I took a solo per se on the record, but there's some like solo fills and stuff like that on, on the record. So over the course of your career, when you do these kinds of things, there has to be a spectrum, right? Of how much is presented to you in a chart or in the directions when you show up and how much you have to come up with like through improvisation and do you do you have like a strategy when you walk in do you like what's the range first of all that you've experienced and then how do you kind of <laughs> kind of fit into those situations do you have a different strategy when you're working with Wayne Shorter or when you're working with a pop artist like Josh? oh god well I was gonna say the pop artist thing is always the most frustrating because they almost release this and you know, they never have charts you know so whenever it's a pop thing it's like they give you a you know recording I'm like uh you want me to learn all this stuff by ear you know I mean of course I can but it takes like double the time you know and then to remember it so I have to end up you know some cases I have to write the whole damn thing out myself you know and if it pays well I'm cool if it doesn't pay so well I'm like uh can you guys give me a chart please <laughs> you know so I mean I've you know I've had to turn stuff down because it's like look man you know come on <laughs> give me some more here you know but yeah I mean every situation's different I mean um from the most you know I remember like uh Dave Douglas who's got like you know really he knows what he wants he's got it well written out um you know clear direction and then you know you can you can fly from there to um yeah like total disorganization <laughs> uh, ronald shannon jackson that's one example <laughs> you know ronald shannon jackson he was crazy free jazz drummer i i walked into audition uh at his studio one time and he had the weirdest charts they were like notes that I've never seen. It, everything was like a whole note uh, <laughs> with stems in different directions and, you know, bar lines, wherever he felt it. And at first I was like, holy, what is this? He wants me to play this. And then he's playing, you know, just free. And then I start hearing his cadences and stuff. And then I sort of see where there's a little density of notes here. And then it spread. I was like, okay, uh, I see where you're getting at here, you know? So, <laughs> You know, what am I going to say to him? Like, can you give me, you know, <laughs> I have much respect for him. I used to listen to his music growing up, you know, Ronald Shannon Jackson, the Coding Society and Vernon Reed and all these people before I moved to New York. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, I, I try to be as flexible as possible. I mean, you know, fortunately, most of the people I work with pretty much know what they want and they have stuff written out and they hire you because of who you are and, you know, the only auditions I've ever had have been pop gigs because they don't know who, you know, who I am. I'm just another guitar player 
you know, on the street. So it wasn't like Joss Stone and band. It was Joss Stone, <laughs> you know, and, you know, never mind. So, yeah, the only times I've auditioned have been pop gigs, never a jazz gig. I maybe one jazz gig, I think. Well, you know, in a way, I think you've really answered that question as you're talking about your flexibility in terms of being a side person, because you have that situation where the people, you're working for them, so they say, oh, play this or play that. You're not, you know, you go, okay, okay, let me try that. Let me do that. I think that, to me, that that is probably the biggest reason why you're successful in that way. You're not going to, if someone... A leader says, no, I want to do this. You're not going to take it personally. You go, oh, yeah, that's, that's you know, what the leader yeah. wants. And, the, and so let me let me work and try to, to make their music. That's my job, right. to make their music sound the best, not about my feelings about it. Right. And, and that's why, you know, yeah, you have to have the right attitude to be a side man. You know, you can't let your ego get in the way. And that's usually the, the leader type personality that gets in the way. It's like, let me show you how your music should sound better. You know, do it this way. And I know people and like that. Like, yeah, not being... yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, no, it's not about that. Yeah. When you said a minute ago, like you had like detailed instructions in this one scenario and then you could kind of let it fly. I think that's the, the thing you used that must be an interesting balance when you are trying to make someone's music sound the way they need it to sound. And then they've also, especially if they've sought you out and they want your sound. Mm -hmm. so how do you find that right balance of like, especially when you're improvising in that context of sort of being yourself, so to speak, mm -hmm. your sound to a project that where you are trying to support someone else's ideas. That must also vary from project to yeah, project. Yeah, it varies. I mean, I'm, you know, I'll ask them, you know, just straight up, like, is this the sign you're looking for? Or, you know, if they are not telling me, you know, sometimes you're begging for a little more feedback, you know, <clears throat> and uh, other times you have to ask, like, is this, do you want a distortion on this? Do you want me to double that, you know, um, you know, and uh, yeah, no harm in asking, <laughs> you know, I just really just try to feel out the situation and, uh, you know. As you went like through and as you're feeling out these different situations, were there specific skills where you thought, oh, wow, I've got to go home and work on that. I've got to go home and be better. Oh, yeah. Like, what oh. were some of those things? Oh, well, hmm, let me think. No, actually, no, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pretty oh, much wait, sorry. <laughs> we're, we're done. Like, you know, he's done everything the whole time. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, no. Uh, countless situations, actually. I mean, no, I mean, it's, you know, you always come across your limitations in these situations. And, you know, I go home thinking, man, I really got to, you know, get my classical chops or my acoustic chops together, you know, my sound, my whatever it is, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so many different situations. I mean, um, you know, lately I think I've been really trying to get focus on sound production and, and really just get every note sounding good, <laughs> you know, not glossing over, you know, the details, you know, every, every note singing out, you know, like a symphony and, and, um, and just trying to refine or change, alter whatever is getting in the way of that technique wise, you know, um, whether it's on acoustic or electric. So that and building my vocabulary further, you know, like I'm, lately I'm working on just going back to, you know, 
Charlie Parker, you know, heads and, you know, relearning things I forgot and, and um, finally transcribing some stuff, you know, after telling my students, you know, every, that's like a, an assignment um, I give every one of my students like each semester is like, you're going to transcribe something, you know, and you can use that for proficiency. So, um, and, you know, in my formative years, I transcribed a lot more than I do now, just, you know, so very proud of the fact that I finally got, one, got a four chorus uh, solo done, you know, and I'm, and that was, you know, trying to, trying to just get a more of a routine practice regimen now to, to do that, you know. It's hard. I, I love that you said that about the sound because I think like we've heard, right, Ian and Cheryl, like so many people are working on their tone these days, uh -huh. including us. And uh, I think, are there aspects of your tone that you like where you feel like this is really your sound um, that you could describe or are there things you're shooting for these days artistically? Um, aspects of my sound yeah the, the, the ones that I, that I don't like <laughs> well well like what I say I, I sometimes I feel like um I don't know I've sort of I've sort of gotten used to my my flaws so to speak uh and they're my flaws you know and that's what makes you your character your sound in a way you know uh so I don't know um you know there I think just in terms I think what I'm talking about mainly is balance of uh, notes, you know, um, around the instrument. And I, you know, I, I think um, that's the thing that I need to kind of work a, a bit more on. Um, it's just just more even balance <clears throat> of notes, you know, but not too much because then, you know, then there's like no dynamic change between notes and you want to have that as well. But what I do, you know, I don't know. I don't know how to describe my sound or whatever that is. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's a funny thing. It's, it's, uh, I, I mean, I can, I can recognize it now. I don't know what makes it that, but it's just, you know, it is what it is. So in that, are you, are you talking about the organization of your notes. I mean, in terms of intervallically, how you play, you know, how you, if you're talking about it in a linear sense, uh -huh. you know, which could be thinking about rhythmic phrasing, but I guess I was thinking more, are you talking about the types of intervallic shapes that you use or that, you know, they're either kind of like close, uh -huh. you know, lines or they're, they're spread out like that, you know, thinking about textures like yeah. that i mean i was talking more about actual sound production like that you know like you know sometimes i'll i'll hit a clinker or whatever the timing between the left and the right hand and mm -hmm. some notes are a little more anemic than others you know mm -hmm. so that that's more what i'm thinking and um uh you're talking like a classical guitarist now <laughs> <laughs> well you know it's funny I, I actually you know uh Adam Rogers is a good friend of mine. He 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 um, talks about this in, in a video that he did, and uh, and it got me thinking about man, you know, because he you know he studied classical music and, and tremendous jazz. I mean, he's a stylistic person, extraordinary, plays every kind of style and amazingly well. And his sound, his tone production is just impeccable. Whatever instrument he picks up, whatever style he plays. So when when I heard him say that, I was like, man, you know, I really should really work hard on on you know what's going wrong when i'm striking 
the strains are on one going from this place to this place on the neck, you know? So that's, you know, and I go back and forth. I like to check out a lot of different techniques, um, you know, uh, from, you know, lately I'm kind of exploring more, you know, cause I grew up kind of old school, semi cage system, you know, going vertically, you know, across the neck in a position. Um, so now, you know, now, you know, more modern younger cats, you know, are playing three note per string things going horizontally up and down the neck playing uh, incredible stuff. So I've been working a lot on that um, legato type of technique, you know, um, and, uh, you know, some of my favorite players these days are like uh, guys like Mike Moreno, um, I like Lage London. I find that their, their technique has, comes from uh, less of, you know, the, the old jazz school and more amalgamation of like uh, Van Halen meets <laughs> Jim Hall, you know? It's like they're taking modern techniques that they learned when they were young playing rock music and then adapting it to a different, you know, more jazz vocabulary. And so I'm learning a lot about that, you know, through my students too. It's, it's amazing, you know, uh, to see what they come up with, what they're dealing with. And it's a whole different way of approaching the guitar. You know, it's not so much about alternate picking every note because that, that doesn't, personally, it doesn't work for me. And even for people it does work, I personally don't like the sound of that, you know, um, so much, you know, I like more of a horn like legato type technique where the rhythm is emphasized with with picking and hammer ons and pull offs, basically. So that's what I continue to try to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, that's really interesting because just right in there, there's so much texture and timbre and differences yeah. in your tone um which is actually something i've always loved about your playing like coming from the classical songs mm -hmm. it's all the rhythmic diversity and the timbral diversity and then you do have a really beautiful tone that you're able oh, to maintain you. and then change up and i think it's interesting that you know you're working on all the different aspects of it and it, it's i think it's going to say something to people who are listening that working on it and always hearing room for things mm -hmm. that you want to hear differently will never go away yeah no matter yeah. how strong that is but it's such a really interesting contrapuntal approach to guitar playing i think that you have oh thank all you all of those layered textures i really love that oh thanks thanks uh, i will say i mean it is it, it, it's hard to teach a, an old dog new tricks, you know, <laughs> it's really, you have to, you know, not just learn new stuff, you have to unlearn, you have to like, really find new pathways, like, for example, um, you know, I just uh, finished transcribing um, John Coltrane's solo on Oleo and Miles Davis thing, which technically is, I haven't gotten it there tempo wise, and but that's my goal. But the only way I, I think I'm going to be able to achieve that is through radically, not semi-radically changing the way I place the notes, obviously, and, and, you know, different from how I kind of have habitually done it. So I really have to employ more three note per string type of mm -hmm. things, some, some leaps that I'm not used to doing. So that's like a deprogramming of stuff, which is going to take as long as it takes, you know. Um, because, you know, I, I realize when, you know, when you learn something new, 
practice it and then you get on the bandstand and you, you go right back to your old habits <laughs> you know it's like oh man that, that didn't come through you know <laughs> so, so uh yeah so you know I, I'm working on working on trying to unlearn the old habits and get into some new habits. And the other thing is, you know, really continually trying to uh, train my ear to go, my fingers to go where my ears are telling me to go, rather than the other way around. You know, um, because that's the that's the other pattern that we fall into. We play the, the you know the same, we fall into the same groove. You know, without really listening to what's happening musically you know i always say my best solos happen when i'm away from my instrument <laughs> when i'm walking down the street and i'm hearing i'm soloing and improvising to something and then get on my instrument and it's a different it's a different solo you know well hopefully it's a different solo but you know what i mean <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> you don't want the same solo every song no but i mean it, it, it comes from a different place and that's because you know we fall into the same patterns and i mean everybody has their you know stock licks and their sound and stuff like that that's not really what i'm talking about it's just more like really hearing playing what you're hearing and you know um and um yeah so that's that's part of what it is that's a tremendous amount that you've covered here and and when you think about it when you sit back from it, it's like to talk about really what you're doing as an artist where you're constantly learning different things, you're reassessing your approach over and over again, you have to be confident enough to be able to step into a situation that's somewhat unknown and flexible enough to go with someone else's vision of mm -hmm. what they want musically. And so like just the, just the different dichotomies, like the, the sort yeah. of confidence and flexibility, the being clear with your playing, but also being able to take yeah. it apart and work on it over and over again. I think you've really laid out so far in this conversation, like all of the ins and outs of what it really takes to do what you're doing. It's, it's, a, it's deep and it's a lot of work every day. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's very humbling at the same time and it's, <laughs> and it's gratifying and it's frustrating and all, all, you know, it's a microcosm of life. That's how I know. <laughs> it's no, but I'm seriously, I mean, you know, I've been thinking a lot about, about this, I guess, um, in that whatever we do musically, um, and that's another thing, you know, I, I try to talk to students about sometimes, um, if, if it comes up, usually in the in the you know should i move to new york conversation or something it's like um or you know students who get frustrated with where they're at and stuff and and, and you know i tell them to sort of just like pull back a little bit and you know <laughs> don't take yourself too seriously you know this is music you know we're not we're not at engineering school here you know this is you know i mean this is music this would be an enjoyable endeavor no matter what and and so i have to you know sometimes remind myself of that of that you know because it, it it can be very competitive and you know you find yourself comparing yourself to people and all that that whole thing and stuff so you know um uh you know it's it's you have to remind yourself why do you, you know what is it that you love about about this profession about doing music you know it has to get back to that you know mm -hmm. to that that initial love of, of of music and um and and trying to 
you know, not let ego get in the way of your playing. And, uh, you know, I like what uh, Kenny Warner is, is uh, doing um, uh, with his effortless mastery class. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to check out some, some of that stuff. You know, I've been a fan for years. We used to do some uh, teach together in, uh, in Austria, a couple of uh, um, retreats. And uh, that's when I first discovered, you know, his, his thing. And, uh, and then I got his book and it really, um, it really strikes a nerve with me, you know, it's like, and I'm still working on it, you know, it's like, you know, we still, I still have a tendency to judge myself a little too harshly uh, after a bad gig, you know, and maybe feel emboldened after a good gig and all that stuff, you know, and so, you know, trying to have a more even keeled approach and it's just like, let things be, and that's the life experience, you know, that music can teach you on how to deal with life in general, you know, especially nowadays, this whole pandemic thing. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about that as you were talking, like you must have to actually actively work on keeping yourself centered as we all do. Mm -hmm. That seems like something you've worked on over the years. And, and, and especially now with you too, because you're also a full professor and you have students and you have yeah. that you're writing, you have all these other things to balance as well. So do you find yeah. that that process has grown and changed for you over the years too? The, yeah, like yeah. Keeping yourself healthy and centered. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I'm trying, <laughs> trying to keep <laughs> things balanced as much as I can, and you know, through whatever means, meditation and and just you know, reflection and stuff, and you know, um, yeah, it's you know, yeah, I, I, time is my thing is time is 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 managing time, and that's something that. I'm, trying to get better at, you know, which is really important. As I was saying, like, you know, one of my New Year's resolutions is I'm going to practice, uh, I think I started out with three, four hours a day, and that's been a struggle, <laughs> just to get that together, the thing, you know, I thought it would not be so hard, but it is. Um, but, um, and so, you know, those kind of things, which is really time management, organization, and uh, uh, those are things that trying to keep working on because it's important. You know, if you have certain goals, you know, you have to have some time management. That's always been my, my Achilles heel, so to speak, you know. And, I, and and that's another common question that students ask is like, you know, how much should I practice doing this and doing that? And, you know, and I don't have a set answer for that because I don't know myself. It's like, really, what do you, what are your goals? And what, you know, you have to self-assess. You have to have the ability to assess your own Strength and strengths and weaknesses, you know, I can give them some guidelines, but at the end, it's like only you can really know, you know, um, yeah. but, you know, uh, yeah, I say not to waste too much time on necessarily always technical stuff. If I see they're wasting too much time just doing technical things, it's that's not good. You know, technique is great, but you can synergize that with playing like uh, Donna Lee or something, you know, learn a song and work on your technique at the same time. And, you know, so I always try to synergize my, my practicing, you know? Um, yeah. Ian, I feel like, um, David's starting to answer in a lot of ways, the question you always ask. Uh oh. Yeah. So, uh, we ask this of everybody. Uh, we asked this. This. <laughs> this is Ian's creation that is so brilliant. Quiet. Actually, I can't take credit for it. This was suggested. I got some outside help for this one. It's a little secret there, though. Um, uh, yeah. So, 
on that topic, uh, what's something that you've noticed that like students will come into your studio, you know, for a lesson and they'll be asking X, Y, or Z, but you'll be thinking like, maybe you should be thinking about, you know, W, you know, what's something that the students should be thinking about that they might not even realize to ask? Oh, wow. Um, what is, hmm. I don't know. Um, it depends on the, you know, the student, what, I, what I'm hearing or not hearing from them, you know, <laughs> I'll bring up, you know, the, if, uh, you know, if it's a sound thing or something that they're just not paying attention to, which is a common one, actually. I mean, some people can play their butt off and their sound is just horrendous. And <laughs> Sorry, you know, I'm, I'm just, and I'll say you may want to, you know, switch that pickup there. You may want to change your strings after eight months and that kind of stuff. And, you know, I know, you know, budgets are, can be tight, but come on now, you know, get that intonation job, whatever it is. I don't know. I mean, it's tailored that, you know, I, I try to look at all aspects of, of their playing. Um, I don't know if I can think of any one general thing that I would point out to everyone. I'm, I'm trying to think, nothing comes to mind, but it's, it's sort of tailored to what I hear is missing or what I think they should think about, but you know. It's kind of uh, ties into what you were saying about like really self-assessing, right? Yeah, yeah. And maybe it's like but, about being honest when you practice about what you really hear. Honest, yeah, but at the same time, well, that's what you know. Teachers can point out to to students. It's like, well, you really need to work on hearing. You know, like I, you know, a lot of students who do the sort of George Benson vocalese thing, uh, and what they're 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 singing what their fingers are doing, as opposed to the other way around, like I was talking about. So um, I, I'll tell them, look, you know, try soloing, try uh, um. You know, take a blues and sing a chorus without playing a guitar. Then play a chorus. Then trade fours singing, and then play another. And see if you know the difference, and see how close you can come to actually what you're singing. And, you know, and really start to hear what's happening, and not going on automatic pilot. You know, and so that's you know, yeah. I think. That, that 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 makes me think about ears and hearing music and uh but um again that's a hard question because everybody's different if i got someone who's like more of a i usually get you know students who are, are more jazz inclined but occasionally i'll get you know the the metal guy you know and it's more about generally working cool patterns and fast runs and putting those things together uh so I don't know <laughs> if that answers your question. It's tailor-made, you know? I don't have a general like you should think about, you know? Other than, you know, if they're really bad, maybe you should think about being in the business if they want to be a performer. I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say it. We've all had this, you know, where it's, it's you know, the sometimes, and that's a tough one. That's a tough one. But I think it's important to point out, um, you know, if they want to be a performer that they should consider. I've had that rare talk, you know, I'm not a harsh, I know some teachers are very harsh about that. And sometimes it's a tough love thing, you know, but other times it's, you know, 
anyway, I don't want to talk about that, but you know, I think it, it's, it's, you know, you have to, you have to have a certain amount of, you know, keeping it real, um, no matter what, you know, don't fake the funk as they say. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I like that because I think like Cheryl asked about, um, I want to hear what you think about this too, Cheryl. Um, she asked you about like, what about your personality helps you be successful in what you do? And I think you're showing us not just as a side person and professional player, but as a teacher, that there's a myth sometimes that you have to be like this very big kind of harsh personality to be mm -hmm. successful as an artist. Oh, well, they're an artist or, you know, but, um, you have a really, really kind of beautiful way of being able to be at the top of what you do and be strong about it, but also be kind. And, mm -hmm. you know, even if you're saying to someone, hey, listen, maybe this career path isn't what you think it's going to be. Maybe you're not mm -hmm. working or hard enough or you're not, you're not developing certain skills that you need and you're able right. to communicate that, but not be you know, like a, a soul crushing harsh person and just be honest yeah you found a way to and then you know there's the other myth well if you're really nice and agreeable then you can't possibly be good at what you do and so you have this way of kind of coming <laughs> in and being really friendly and honest and kind and then just you know you could melt someone's face off with your guitar if you wanted to or, or move us all you know like within two notes and i think that's really important for people to understand that you can be yourself and and you can be a kind person and and be someone who uh, is really easy to work with and also be yeah one of the strongest deepest players i found that the best the best musicians are usually the nicest people yeah i think so too was that you know i take that lesson you know mm -hmm. like wayne you know for example he's you know they're just the nicest people you know they don't have anything to prove <laughs> you know they're just a badass they can melt your face off with you know but they're not about that they're just giving usually very generous giving people i mean at least the ones i'm mm -hmm. most interested in in emulating both musically and personality wise you know right and then you have the other ones <laughs> <laughs> You know, yeah, and you can appreciate the. I can appreciate it on the musical level, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and all that, you know. So. Well, it seems like you do. You find something to appreciate in each situation, yeah. and then you can gravitate to the ones. You yeah, like the worst is the, you know the, you know the, the guy with the attitude, uh, you know who can't play. <laughs> That's the, yeah, don't be that. Right? No, no, don't be that. At least be good or be nice. One or the other. Both is preferred. Both would be, would be preferable, but you know. Yeah. yeah. Cheryl, what's on your mind at this point? I, I, I think you've shared some really, um, really deep stuff. I mean, just about, you know, that stuff that you're talking about self assessment, that it takes that courage to be able to do that, to be able to, to, sit down with yourself and recognize your weaknesses and, and that does make you a deeper player and that you spend your time looking at those things, which is the hardest thing to do. Cause if you, you know, you just want to put on, you know, a, a shuffle and play some blues cause it feels good and you're good at that. Yeah. 
But if you're really seeking to go to those next levels, you have to sit down and go, well, you know, well, I don't know the key of E flat or I don't know this or my yeah. sound, you know, it takes, that's, that takes a lot of courage and a lot of, um, humility to do that. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, that, that you are able to encourage students to do that, to guide them to do that. Cause that can be the hardest thing. Cause yeah, I just, yeah, want, to, and, I yeah. just want to jam and it's fun and it feels good. But if you want it, if you're really here to take yourself somewhere else, so for you to be able to guide them is is great and amazing. And I and I also would add that the thing that's lacking, maybe that Ian misses, answers your question. Um, I would I often tell them patience, 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 because that's lacking today. It's just lacking in the world, <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, I understand it. We all want to get good as fast as possible. <clears throat> and uh, it just doesn't always happen as quick as you want it to be, you know? And, you know, I mean, when I got to NYU, I got my butt kicked, you know? I was like, <laughs> this is New York, you know? This is like, wow. And, and it, you know, it's just, it happens when, you know, everybody grows at their own pace and, um, you know, you have to be patient with yourself and, and, uh, those things take time, you know, and you have to use your time wisely. So that's, that's all, all the above, you know, we want instant gratification, you know, you know, one of these days they'll come up with that crown that goes over your head and you can just like, you know, program Pat Martino in you. And then you can just like play just like him, you know, but until then, <laughs> I, I'd like one so I could play drums like Elvin Jones, personally. That's pretty, that would be cool. You know, I took your um, advanced rhythmic concepts lab, and it did. I got I got destroyed in that class. I got complete like I was like <laughs> I got rocked in that class. <laughs> like every week, you know, you'd bring in something, and in like you know the heat would get turned up, and I I remember like. I was like standing on the subway platform the of the T like in Davis square. And I was like, you know, commuting into school. And I remember like trying to like go over like polyrhythms of, of like dotted quarters over like seven, four, you know? And then next thing, you know, the next tune is like alternating in five and four. And I'm like, man, I just got this other thing. And I'm like, I finally got over the hump. And then it's like the heat gets turned up, you know? And, it was really cool because like I could never I could never have played like in all these odd meters and stuff. And even though it was like shedding it a bunch in your class, like, you know, the next week it wasn't going to be perfect, but it was like I got it. And now it's like it's a lot more inside, like, you know, the way you hear it and sense it. So like I really. Yeah. And it's funny you you talk about like patience and like the humility of it, because you know, you get something worked up and you're like, man, I'm like happening, right? Like I got this thing and you've been shedding it and you get this thing and then you move on to the next one. Right. And then it's like, how am I going to put this on the guitar or like, where should this be? And now I feel like a beginner again. Right. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, sorry if I, if I, maybe, maybe that was one of the first iterations of that course and you were one of my guinea pigs or something I don't oh know, but... no <laughs> <laughs> no but i mean yeah i mean it, it, it's uh yeah there's there's um it's always uh there's always a challenge around the corner there's something i was going to say to that i forgot now but um uh 
Uh, well, I uh, hope you got something out of it. And uh, <laughs> I got a yeah. ton out of it. <laughs> uh, yeah. I actually recommend okay. that to like everybody who like, you know, <laughs> needs a, a thing. And I'm like, man, if you're really trying to get this, like this thing together, like take this, oh, cool. <laughs> it'll be good yeah. for you. <laughs> No, I was going to say, yeah, a lot of people, <clears throat> it's funny that they seem intimidated by when it comes to working on uh, rhythmic aspects of music. And I think that's just in general, um, not worked on or studied as much in university setting, musical setting, uh, as harmony and, and theory and all that stuff, you know, so it's changing now, you know, uh, but I, I, I have a question for you about that. I mean, in terms of odd meters, you know, when you look at other cultures, Eastern Europe or South America and African cultures, the the odd, what we call odd meters, mm -hmm. usually part of dance and folkloric mm -hmm. dance and stuff. And, and really as pop culture, we don't have dances in seven or we don't right. have dances in nine. So it seems, it is odd, truly odd for us. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I remember we used to study, actually, my grandmother was, had an author about Eurythmics was, and, and I had it one year at a, when I went to Duquesne uh, University. Me too. And, and I, I don't know why they don't teach it anymore. It was brilliant. I don't know either. I had a, the a class called Dow Crow's Eurythmics That's at it. NYU. Amazing. It was one of the best classes I ever took. And they had us, you know, walking around the room tapping and clapping and stuff like we're in nursery school but hey you know and and everybody hated it but i loved it you know it was I, just I, like that yeah. i think yeah. it's the age too where you're just a little <clears throat> self-conscious and they make you do those <laughs> yeah but but in retrospect it was the hippest thing ever yeah yeah <laughs> yeah no, you know nothing i would say nothing is hard it's just unfamiliar you know and as you said you know that yeah there's folk songs and dances in seven and in nine and you know and they don't have a problem with it because that's they grew up with that so it's just unfamiliar you know so people are often intimidated by you know odd meters and rhythmic stuff but that's you know <clears throat> you listen to where music's headed now there's such a incorporation of that now and in, in jazz you know so that's it's important you know you and know, it's interesting it's the next horizon i think you know yeah listening to you talk about all this stuff it's it's not surprising that you're trying to practice four hours a day because if you went and you listed all the things that you're talking about that you're working on and all the things <laughs> that you're interested in it's it's so many things it's so many like short focused sessions that add up to four hours a day yeah right and so well, that, and, you it's know, the time management thing that needs to you know and again i'm, I'm as i'm saying this i'm struggling with it because i'm realized like i did like you know three weeks in January, I was just, and I just kept adding stuff, you know, I was like, wait, hold on, I have to pare this down a little bit and focus just on, let me memorize and master this, then let's move on. I, you know, there's, there's two sides to that. You can practice multiple things, obviously, um, but you do have to make sure that you achieve a certain mastery or else you're just going to get discouraged with the whole process, because if you're always just touching the surface of something, you know, and you don't see results, so you're going to not do it, you know, you give up after a while. And I think that's what happens with a lot of students is they just get discouraged too easily, you know, and mm. uh, you have to stick with it and, and hope for a breakthrough. And, you know, I know it's hard when you're in a school setting and others are 
going faster than you and you know but you can't can't do, you can't look at that you know you're at your own pace in your own place and that's that's what it's about and that to me again that's a life lesson you know comparing yourself to others is not going to make you happy you know you know whether you think you're better than them or worse than them it's like you know just enjoy the process of music and creation and let everything else take care of itself you know don't worry about making money doing it you know if you're worried about that you know study you know the social media the business side of things you know and that has absolutely almost nothing to do with the creativity of music you know that has to do with marketing and you know that's that's a whole nother thing you know so helps to be a good musician at the same time but <laughs> <laughs> we, know, we know a lot of people who are great with the marketing thing but the music thing yeah, you a little improvement yeah see yeah. even you said that in a nice way you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, music not so much <laughs> go back to the practice room for that part. right right right, right. Uh, Cheryl as we're kind of coming to the end of this pot of coffee what what is what do you want to say or ask yeah I just want to thank you for joining us and and sharing I mean like I said the difference between knowledge and wisdom is you know the deep experience with this so thanks for sharing oh thanks all, you know all this yeah. stuff about practicing and 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 business and being a side person and sharing little stories about Wayne and stuff it's really I really enjoyed it, it oh cool oh cool. well thanks for having me yeah, yeah. it's fun hey how about you Ian anything from yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, just that big takeaway of patience, you know, and continuing to do the work, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. David, any last thoughts of wisdom or, or do you have any advice for Ian and Cheryl and I, as we're kind of managing the guitar department with Ben? Um, triple masked. Sorry, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Let's sorry. all make it back together. Yeah. <laughs> Are we up to? Isn't it up to triple mass now? I don't know. They yeah. recommend double mass and triple mass. I was wearing double mass like mm -hmm. back last, end of last year. I was just like, you know what? I think uh, I could use an extra layer here. I heard something that it could help. So now they're talking about. Um, no, I mean, thanks guys for you know keeping things moving and well-oiled machine and you know and keeping the spirit going and just keeping things moving along i know you guys have been working your butts off and it shows and you know i'm just really happy that you guys are at the helm and 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 and, and making things you know keeping things going and I, I miss you know i miss the interaction with with everybody and i can't wait till we you know get back to that sorry i couldn't be there this time but you know um Definitely, I think September is, you know, going to be the turnaround time. And um, yeah, and my mug is somewhere in the office, I think. I don't, can't I'm trying to remember. <laughs> I got a different yeah. one here. <laughs> well, we learned that in an earlier session that Jim Kelly had, he labeled his with his name on it, with the label uh -huh. maker. So if yours is there as well, it should be distinct. So you don't have to worry about other people having used it while okay. you're gone. I think but I got We'll yeah. send them to the cleaners when uh, when we all get back. We'll get the dust <laughs> off them. Yeah. And, uh, look yeah. forward to seeing you back. It's yeah, it's been strange not to come in on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and see you at the coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you guys are there, like switching off. Then. Yeah. 
Cheryl's there. Okay. Cheryl and Ben are there right now. And um, Ian and I are going to go check on the on the ranch in the next couple of weeks. So, cool. uh, but thank you so much, David, for being right. with us today. Cool. And, um, everybody else, we'll see you next time on Coffee Talk. <laughs>